Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. Thanks for joining us again. If you like the show, make sure that you hit like if you're watching it on YouTube. Subscribe wherever you are watching or listening right now is Logan and I dive into the coaches in the NFC East today, the coaching edition of the show, Logan. We've been doing our positional rankings. We got the offense down uh, last week. We got the defense down earlier this week. And so today we're actually not going to rank head coaches. We're going to talk about head coaches later in the show, but we are going to rank offensive and defensive coordinators. And then we'll talk about why we are not ranking the head coaches. So, Logan, you want to start with offense? You want to start with defense? Because uh, there's there's some really interesting guys on both sides of the ball in this division. Yeah, I mean, I have an offensive bias. So, like, you know, like I think, you know, and I think it's fair now. You know, that used to be like an offensive player bias. But now I think this league is so offensive driven. Like that is like the most important side of the football. And I do think you're getting some really cool defensive innovation. But really, like your team goes as your offense goes. So I think maybe we... And on that, I don't know. It's up to you. Yeah, um, I do think yeah. it's interesting because uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, there is one coach in the division who you played for, and it's actually one of the defensive coordinators. Yes. However, uh, I do agree with you that that the offense, I mean, they're the ones that dictate. You have yeah. the football. Um, and we talk a lot about how defenses can try to flip that on its head and try to dictate to the offense, um, but ultimately is the offense that is making the decisions and the defense that has to react. So let's start on that side of the ball. So in Dallas, you have Brian Schottheimer, who will not be calling plays. Mike McCarthy yeah. will be. You have Brian Johnson in Philadelphia. You have, obviously, Biennemi here in Washington. Then you have Mike Kafka and kind of Brian Dable, uh, yeah. who obviously has a very heavy influence in New York. Um, simple enough. Where do we start uh, if, we're, if we're saying who are the best guys? This, this is actually hard because um, a lot of these guys haven't been doing this in their current roles for very yeah. long. EB, obviously, with Andy Reid and, and KC. Schottenheimer's been in the league forever. Uh, but for Johnson and Kafka, like younger guys in, in the league. Yeah, yeah. So I think I would say, like, you know, again, I'm going to go back to, like, experience. You know, and if I'm going best offensive coordinator slash head coach in the division, it's probably Kafka and Dayball. Like, just what they did last year was kind of what Sirianni did, like Jalen Hurts' first or second year. Like, he just – they, they both those guys working together, create an offense that elevated personnel that allowed Daniel Jones to, you know, maybe not be the best quarterback in the division, but at least be a guy that you're like, now you have to pay him. And I think that's good. And they seem very confident in him. And I, and I, I really, every game that I watched of the Giants last year, I thought this is a team that's 
um, again, doing some cool stuff schematically. And they're also doing some cool stuff from like a coaching execution detail standpoint, you know, like there's a reason that you can be so hyper efficient. Like, you know, I think we talked about this. They were a team that really struggled to find big plays, but they won games, um, you know, being really efficient with their third down with their three-step drop stuff with their quick game, with some screen stuff, finding ways to get Saquon the football. Um, and you aren't as efficient as they were without being hyper detailed. So I think as, as kind of lackluster, you know, maybe their total offensive production was last year, you know, like they're not, I think they were like a top 15 offense, maybe top 20 offense, like nothing crazy, but they were able to win football games. And I, I think that that coaching staff deserves a ton of credit because one of the ways that I grade coaches is like, how good are your offensive players? And then how good are you um, in terms of getting production out of them? And last year, like we've talked about, their offensive line was not good. Their, their skill position guys, I think they overperformed. But again, like I think you look around the division and say, like, we still think that they're the fourth group in the league, in the division, right? And that's how yeah. we felt last year. So for them to take that group and elevate the way they did, I'm like, they have to be the number one, uh, you know, kind of, and it's, yeah. and it's, and it's weird. Cause it's, it's not just Kafka, it's Kafka and Dayball working together, obviously. But I think both those guys kind of putting their heads together lead to a really good offensive uh, performance. So I think we should even take a step back and kind of double click on what you just said. Like what, what is even the rubric here? Right. Yeah. For me, what makes a good offensive coordinator is someone who understands their personnel uses it well, yeah. And does that within a larger team concept, right? Um, meaning like you understand that you're playing a long season. You understand that how you play and your efficiency offensively affects the defense. Um, you understand who your playmakers are and there's a concerted effort to get them the ball specifically in key moments. You insulate your quarterback, you insulate your offensive line. Yeah. Like there's, there's a real understanding or, you know, if you're Philadelphia and you have the best offensive line in football, you use that to your advantage. How do you, how do you put your players in good spots, give the best players, the most challenging stuff that is also the most rewarding and still get production out of players who are not as talented by creating opportunities for them and leverage those opportunities for your better guys. So it's this big cyclical, you know, yeah. run to set up the pass, pass to set up the run, use your star players as a decoy, but also, you know, setting up something in the first quarter uh, to use in the third quarter. There's like all these things that you could get into examples of, but that's kind of to me like, the big rubric here is, do you understand who your personnel is? Do you use them wisely? And do you do that within the larger team concept of what you're trying to be in terms of an identity as a football team? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, I think this Kafka Dayball collective is elevated by the fact that um, Philadelphia's offensive coordinators knew. I think if Philadelphia's offensive coordinator had stayed and um, Sirianni had been the head coach again this year, I think they would probably be number one. Because talk about a team that does that at a super high level with great personnel, it's Philadelphia. You know, like what they did with Jalen Hurts in terms of really making an offense for him. You know, like, and I, we've talked about this before, I don't think Jalen Hurts is necessarily a system guy. But, you know, they they developed this really innovative RPO system, you know, like that was more than just uh, it's kind of like what um, what I was doing, not I was doing, but what Houston was doing in 2019 with Deshaun Watson. It's the, it's an RPO with a zone read, kind of this amalgamation of two really challenging concepts for the defenses to handle. And I thought they, they kind of took it to the next level in the same way that like Kyle in 2012 with the zone read stuff with Robert elevated the zone read stuff to a level that no one had ever seen in the NFL before. 
I feel like um, Sirianni and that offensive staff last year did the same thing. And so if they had been here, if, if I forget the gentleman's name. He's yeah, Shane there. Steichen. Shane Steichen. now in Indy, yeah. Yeah, if Shane Steichen had still been here, I would say Philadelphia would probably be number one, right? Just because of what they did going to the Super Bowl week in, week out. You know, the quarterback sneak stuff they did, like the the run stuff they do with the quarterback and the detail again, which with, with which they kind of install an approach, they'd be number one, but they're gone. So to me, Kafka is the next group and a, a little bit because they're kind of the low definition uh, version of, of that, right? They, again, very innovative with the pen in terms of putting their guys in good positions to be successful. But I think the other thing that you didn't necessarily mention in your rubric is the detail. Yeah, right? that is was the, the thing I forgot for sure. Is, is the detail that they're coaching it with, like the splits, the, the, the precision, the timing, uh, the trust between the quarterback and the receivers, the... Uh, again, the layering of plays is a huge element. And so, you know, I remember last year doing some breakdowns, you know, uh, I, like for some of my clients, like watching like, hey, you know, in this formation, like they're 90 percent, whatever. And you look for those tells and you watch a lot of film, and you're grinding the tape. And I just was like, man, they do such a good job of right when you think you have something on them, they have a variation off of it. And so they deserve a ton of credit. And so to me, they're number one uh, because I think they're the best coordinator that is still around right like everyone else is kind of in in flux and up but i think they would probably have been number two if philly staff had stayed so i'm really excited about what they're doing and i think for me that the second group now is a guy that i think i'm probably a little bit biased towards but it's eric the enemy like i think i'm just and it, again we we've, we've seen him you and i have been to practices we've seen the detail we've seen some of the things that um get you excited about offensive play callers right and Again, it's so like this. I think you sent me this, Craig. It was like basically saying like everyone runs the same stuff. It, yes. The thing that separates a good coordinator from a bad coordinator is one is kind of that feel, that je ne sais quoi, that magic that they bring. But also the thing that separates is the detail that they bring in practice. And EB has been incredibly detailed and he makes the concepts through the details come to life in a way that gets me excited because it reminds me of Sean or reminds me of Kyle or reminds me of these really innovative offensive minds that we've, that I've played with. And so to me, it has to be EB at number two. And again, it, again, we're biased because we've seen it. Maybe I would feel the same way about Shane Steichen and Mike McCarthy. I doubt it, but maybe I would if I was watching their practice every day, but EB has just been that good during the OTA minicamp period. And I can't wait to see what he brings for training camp. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think that that detail to flesh that out a little bit, like this is a league of inches and yards. Yeah. And like, that's something that really hit me when I was covering the team and I started to really watch a lot more tape is like, you'd watch the end zone angle of a crossing route and you realize every single time that ball is going one inch over a defensive lineman yeah. outstretched arm. And it is, you know, in a yard wide window through two linebackers. And like, that's every slant, every crossing route, every everything, every screenplay is that close yeah. to being a pick six the other way. Like, so the the details of timing, the details of uh, splits, the details of, of breaking at nine yards versus ten, like those things matter, and and are a one yard difference either between like good or great of having a yard of separation that you can run away or getting tackled on the catch or one yard the other way of a pick six or an incompletion. And like it, that, that level of detail 
is required for the highest level of offense. And obviously Eric's done this in Kansas city with extremely talented skill players and Patrick Mahomes who makes makes yards appear out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that attention to detail is a hundred percent right. And we saw how that, you know, kind of pristine accuracy and execution can elevate even inferior skill guys in New York last yeah. year with what mm-hmm. Dayball does with what Kafka does and with Dayball like if you want to throw it back to where was he before he was in Buffalo with yeah. elevated skill guys and they had one of the best offenses in football but and he so elevated Allen see, though yeah, you know like yeah, he, you like see, to your point right yeah. Yeah. So you just, you see it, right? You see the impact it has. If you have good players or great players, it gets the most out of them. If you have, uh, average players, let's call them, you can win with them because you have that level of detail. And I think you're hundred percent right that Eric Bieniemy has that style and attention to detail and coaching. And I think with Rivera, he has been given the leeway to run things exactly how he wants to, to ensure that that gets across to the players. And I think you know, obviously they have the skill talent to get here. Brian Johnson, that said, the offensive coordinator now in Philadelphia was the quarterback's coach last right. year. Um, and in Philly, we saw that same detail. I mean, Steichen obviously was a huge part of it. He was the OC. He got a head coaching job at a fairly young age um, and, and was clearly impressive in interviews. To do that, he was coveted not just in Indy, but in other places. Um, but because we haven't seen it yet, I, I tend to agree with you that even though EB is doing it for the first time without Andy Reid as an OC, I'd probably put the enemy second. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball has been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and I think the thing, you know, with um, Brian Johnson that, that kind of, and again, this is <clears throat> this is my own bias, I think a little bit, is when I've been part of teams who've hired in-house, you know, they haven't, the uh, they've said, we're going to keep the same offense, we're going to hire in-house. They don't always hire the best guy. Now I will say Brian Johnson's resume is very good. He's been OC at the college level before he's been a quarterback coach. Those are all really high things that I think are very, very valuable. But, you know, sometimes you're saying, Oh, we want to just keep some continuity. We're not hiring the guy that's, that's bringing that EB level of detail. We're not bringing, we're not making sure we retain Sean McVay when a new coaching staff comes in. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a level of detail and a a level there's something about a good OC, man. Like just in, I'm thinking back on my my career, um, you know, one of the best guys that I played for is someone that you probably never heard of is uh, what's his name? Kelly in uh, Houston. And he had this obsession, but he wasn't like a like a grinder. The uh, the head coach at the time, um, he was in uh, New England for a long time. Romeo uh, Cornell. No, no. The that's the defensive coordinator. The he's that he's a new OC oh, uh, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. He was a he was psychotic with the details. Yes. Psychotic. And so it allowed uh, it allowed Kelly to be like this super detailed, really great, great communicator in the field room. And then Bill O'Brien was in there just grinding the, you know, just like, hey, this isn't good enough. This is and and the offense was really good. You know, it was excellent when he was there. So uh, I just think like sometimes you need to have that strong hand. And maybe Sirianni's that guy that kind of makes sure the detail stays there. You know, everyone says Brian Johnson's a great communicator. He's got the 
the chops to be a good OC, but you need someone that's a little bit obsessive, a little bit, you know, compulsive. Like that's how Kyle was, man. Kyle was super compulsive. I think that's one of the reason, reasons why that staff is so successful is because everyone got that kind of like every detail matters when you're coaching it. And so, um, so I, again, we don't know. I don't know that much about Brian Johnson, their OTAs. I have, a, I have a client that's down there. We talked a little bit about their OTA period. It was very, very, very vanilla, you know, kind of very veteran savvy, very veteran friendly, which makes sense. They just were in the Super Bowl, right? Like, mm. take care of your old guys. Uh, so they haven't shown a lot. They haven't done a lot. Uh, but I do think that um, he, his pedigree is one that makes you say, if anyone's going to be okay with the personnel they've got, with the head coaching, with an offensive head coach who's still kind of in the fold there, they're going to be okay. So I'd say we don't, we're going to put him third, but he could very easily be, you know, first or second, depending on how things go. I, maybe you disagree, Craig. I don't know. No, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Um, and shout out to, to Tim Kelly, who's the Tim the Kelly. Thank, good job, Tim. Uh, excellent. He was uh, initially hired, I think, as a quality control guy. Yeah. He worked he, his way all the way up to OC. Just ground it out, awesome. man. He's good. He's, he was a really good coach. Really good coach. So that leaves uh, that leaves Brian Schottenheimer, which is uh, interesting because Schottenheimer is the most experienced by far. Yeah. Um, like he's been coaching in the NFL since you know some of these guys. I mean, EB maybe was coaching by then, but I think EB was still playing. Kafka, def- I mean, Kafka's like yeah. my age. Yeah. Um, I think he was at Northwestern when I was at Syracuse. Um, he was playing. Oh, really? I was not. Um. <laughs> And then Brian Johnson was actually uh, a freshman at Utah when Alex Smith was the Heisman Trophy winner. Oh, wow. So 2004, uh, I believe, is when that was. So Schottenheimer started as a coach uh, for the St. Louis Rams as an assistant in 1997. Uh, he's actually been in Washington. He was here in 2001 as the quarterback's coach. He was the OC most famously uh, in the Rex Ryan, like New York, Mark Sanchez teams, mm-hmm. uh, 06 to 2011. He was an OC in St. Louis, uh, for the Rams before going back to college and then making his way, uh, back to the NFL, mostly as a quarterback's coach, but he was yeah OC in Seattle as well, uh, 2018 to 2020. So last year with the Cowboys as an analyst, now they're OC. Um, he does, uh, or he does not have play calling responsibilities, but a guy that I, I don't know, man, like, little bit of Scott Turner vibes, obviously, with his his dad being a former head coach, Marty, um, legendary NFL head coach, been around the game forever as a coach, but has never been around. I'll just say this. He's been a part of a lot of really good teams. A lot of them were defensive head coaches whose defenses carried them while the offense plotted along, uh, whether that was New York with Sanchez, Seattle, and those teams, et cetera. Yeah, and I think, you know, there, there's a skill in that. There's a skill in understanding that you need to rely on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I think the reason that I'm not that high in him, and I think we are not that high in him in this situation, is partially because of the stuff that McCarthy has said, right? He, McCarthy says, I want to run the football more. I want to rely on the defense more. And I, I think there is some merit to that philosophy, but you need to keep uh, – innovating offensively, right? You can't take this back 20 years and be like, hey, let's just stick with what we want to do. And I feel like this hire, you know, I, and I don't know that much about Schottenheimer as a coach. I really don't. Like, you know, he, I'm sure he's a really bright dude. He's, you, you, aren't, you aren't in the NFL for as long as he's been in the NFL and, and not know a lot about football. I think the thing about the hire is it feels like a safe hire, someone that 
um, McCarthy knows he can have a lot of like governance over and is going to do what he says. He's not going to like rock the boat and try to be overly innovative offensively like uh, Kellen Moore was, right? Like that was one of the big headbutting issues there is that Kellen Moore was trying to do all this crazy offensively innovative stuff, which I would kind of push back against anyway. I thought he was doing what they needed to do to win football games. And so the fact that Mike McCarthy... He was the most coveted OC on the market the second he got fired in Dallas. Yeah, and so the fact that McCarthy was like, we don't want that here. I want someone that's going to let me, going to insulate me, going to do what I want to do is just to me is never a good is never a good reason to hire somebody. And again, you're he might be the smartest dude in the room, but the reason you make that hire is because he's doing what you want as Mike McCarthy. So how smart is Mike McCarthy and what does Mike McCarthy want to do? And Mike McCarthy said he wants to run the football more. And I get it. I understand the value there of running the football more. But this in the NFL today, you can't just line up and run the football the way that you used to, right? It's just the, the game flow is so different. You can't leverage your defense like that. One of the reasons that defense was good is because they can play with a lead. They can rush the passer. Like, think about that. They're moving Micah Parsons to defensive end, and you're going to say we're going to run the football a ton. You're going to be in a lot of games that are 21 to 24, and you're not going to be able to rush the passer as much as you want, you know? So I just think it's a total kind of – miscalculation and again i've been wrong you know but this is just my bias like having been around offensive football like you don't want you never want to go turtle never go turtle always try to kind of at least stay innovating to some level like look at look at new york last year they no one would have said no one would have faulted them at all if they were like hey we're going to run the ball 40 times a game because we don't trust our quarterback they found other ways to kind of be innovative with that with that limited offensive structure and i think that's what mccarthy wants but I'm not sure that he has the, the, the foresight and the staff to support that kind of subtle innovation to kind of help them maintain the football. Now, I might be totally wrong, but that's what that feels like right now. Yeah, that's the reputation. McCarthy in Green Bay was like this. And it kind of worked in a way because Rodgers apparently is someone who likes things pretty plain and vanilla and just yeah. is going to rely on the fact that he's Aaron freaking Rodgers and, you know, his his vision and his ability to read a defense and his arm strength. Like, just, yeah, give me the plain stuff. I'll go execute. Um, which, is so, for, which is so frustrating because look how good he was when Matt LaFleur was right. there. And but like, like you heard that there was friction yeah, because yeah. Matt would be like, no. And it's like when, um, when, uh, Kyle got to Atlanta, um, mm -hmm. and we talked about it with Matt Ryan mm -hmm. that like, and you've told the stories on the, on the show, like Kyle was like, no, Matt, we can be better if you just trust me and we do it this yeah, way. And eventually, right. and Matt goes out and wins the MVP. And so I think you look back at how good Rogers was at that time they should have won more than one Super Bowl. And, yeah. and I think most people in Green Bay would probably agree with me on that. So I, I just imagine these uh, these closed-door sessions last year in McCarthy's office where McCarthy would be frustrated and like Schottenheimer would come in there as an analyst and they would just bitch about Kellen Moore's creativity and now here they are. So I agree with you. Um, I, I And by the way, that's not... I don't know that to be happening. That's that's a figment of my imagination. It just feels very, very plausible. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like a guy that's been around, knows how to do the job, um, you know, will be the the sounding board that McCarthy wants, not the sounding right. board that he needs. Yes, I and think that's it. That's the we'll see. We'll see how uh, how fruitful it is because they are talented. It is a base NFL offense. They will probably have some weeks where they put up a ton of points. 
but my my guess is the Cowboys fans will be very frustrated by this, and <laughs> it won't last more than a year or two. Hmm. I agree. I think yeah. So just to recap, we got the Giants at one, right? Yep. We got Washington at two with EB, yep. and then we got Philly again. That I think that that's a sneaky one to me. That could be a much better. Yeah, that's group. just. We don't know. It's so it's hard yeah. to kind of have a full evaluation. And then I think I feel pretty good about Dallas being fourth there. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I do think that's going to change quite a bit when we flip the field. Uh, so let's find out. 